Right, we are going up to the Northern Hemisphere. We are incredibly lucky. I'm so grateful that on our last show, we can get such an impactful guest for you to share some stories with. His name's David Conn. That may not ring a bell, but I'll tell you what will. FIFA Uncovered, the Netflix documentary, which just had me absolutely flummoxed, bamboozled, scratching my head. How does this happen? The man that knows way more about it than just a viewer because he put it together. He's an investigative journalist with The Guardian. David Conn, welcome in and thanks so much for talking to New Zealand today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for your interest. How many years was this project for you, David? Because it goes it goes back so far and your documentary goes all the way back. This is a labour of a lifetime almost, it seems. Well, um, for me personally, uh, I would say um, 10 years or so that I really was only seriously writing about FIFA um, and investigating FIFA for maybe a bit longer than that. Um, and then I wrote my book, The Fall of the House of FIFA, in 2017 to try to explain to people about these absolutely unbelievable corruption scandals that happened at FIFA. And then essentially um, with a friend of mine, Dan Gordon, who's the director um, of of the documentary uh, who I've worked with before on various things over the years. Um, he and his company got the documentary made um, by Netflix, the four part series. And I was just so, so pleased like to see your work just done so properly in a documentary. And also obviously when it works, this is a golden age of documentaries isn't it because back in the day before netflix we would have been absolutely delighted if we'd have got an hour on bbc2 in in britain you know and that's the sort of commission that that dan used to get sometimes with things that i worked on with him but not only was i delighted that they got a four-part series with netflix and i knew that it would be proper and they took their time over it so i think they would have worked on it for three or four years and they had incredible researchers young women actually who just read everything and looked at everything and researched it it's the end of the earth and you know reached the point uh, there was a certain point after a few months where we had a meeting and I thought right you know more about it than me now you know they were absolutely brilliant and, and to know that it was going to be done properly but that point that you've just made about the fact that to do the corruption the modern corruption of FIFA but do it in the context of the history. And that's what I did in my book because it's, it's so important, isn't it? And so valuable to have that proper historical context. Um, and again, just delighted that they really got that and they really understood it. And so to have the first part of you know, a modern, really, really dramatic documentary series on Netflix that was prepared to basically be historical and to set out the history and the narrative. You know, just so, so delighted about that and actually delighted that, you know, you're saying that that really made a difference because it doesn't just build the context for the later corruption. So, so I think it's always really important with these football documentaries and with all sport documentaries, which I've always tried to do. Like one of my books, my second book is called The Beautiful Game, Question Mark, Searching for the Soul of Football. 
And, and that idea of the soul of football to try to say to people, you know, just, 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 just to set out, look, this isn't just corruption in the oil industry or the steel industry or just some industry that is basically an industry and is there. It is there to make money for companies, but obviously there shouldn't be corruption. It's really bad and illegal if there is. This isn't this is on a completely worse level than that, because this is our game. This is our sport. This is something that people feel in their hearts and actually feel in their souls. And so to be able to establish that in the first episode, yeah. FIFA was formed in 1904 by seven European nations were basically all amateur because England wasn't involved at that stage. They were all amateur. There was no money in it. There was an idealism about it. So just set out that thing that we all know, all football fans know. Yeah, you know, we just love this game. And the money is just kind of like something that has to happen to sort of make it happen. Um, yeah, I was really delighted that. And I do think that it set a platform of understanding for what happened next. But also some of the characters involved, like Seth Blatter, obviously being the central character in it all, just to understand that he arrived at FIFA in, I think it was 1975. And he was the general secretary and then the president right up until 2016, you know, longer than 40 year span. And it, I think it's and, and we trace some of his relationships, didn't we, like where they came from and where they ended up. Um, and, you know, like I myself as a journalist coming into the into this, like I say, really in the 2000s, when people told me about this history, you almost couldn't believe it at first. Like also about Adidas and like how Adidas were totally interwoven into the history of FIFA. And there's, uh, you know, well, there was a corrupt relationship with the person who was the boss of Adidas and then formed this company called ISL. Um, like when people first tell you that stuff, it seems so obscure. But then when you go and research it and realize that, wow, that is all true. And also it it's actually really, really central to an understanding of what happened in later years. You're talking about Seth Blatter, my takeout, because you know, no one watching this documentary um, we'll finish it with saying oh, I knew all of that because there's just no way it's just such an explosive honest true account the indignance and the Teflon nature that Seth, Seth Blatter has of himself is that a case of if you tell a lie often enough it's, it becomes true in your mind because he was happy to be interviewed he was happy to be accused of corruption he just sat there saying that it, it's not happening and I'm watching there as a viewer going are you serious like you've got all of this stuff against you that's all against you and you just sit there and go nope he, he's a different human it's incredible isn't it it's incredible so when I wrote my book the thing is he will front up he will give interviews mm. he will put his case he will say I can't be held responsible he will say basically his case is his case in the modern about the modern corruption and the people who got arrested and the people who, who were indicted. His case is, look, I'm FIFA, which is football's world governing body. The people on that, what was called the executive committee, the ruling body of FIFA, the 24 men, they are elected by their confederation. So in your part of the world, by Oceania, 
in, in our part of the world by UEFA. So I can't be responsible if those people are corrupt. That, that's basically the case that he makes. And when I wrote my book, um, Blatter agreed to give me an interview and we, we ended up going for lunch in this restaurant. And um, it's the whole last chapter of my book because it was just incredible. And we were there for three hours and I just put everything to him. And, he, and again, he just answered everything in this way that, you know, um, he wasn't responsible essentially. And, and to be fair, I don't think anyone uh, believes or has found that Seth Blatter himself took any, as he always says, he never took any money illicitly. It was, you know, beyond the salary, which is a very, very, very handsome salary, by the way, by the end. You know, I don't think anyone really accuses him of that. But the case really is that, and, and, and so I've spent far too long probably thinking about Set Blatter and thinking about this question about, if you like, his culpability. And for me, what it is, is that he was ambition in one human being. He was ambition personified. And it's actually really interesting that Switzerland became this country, um, partly because it was a neutral country in Europe, but partly, to be honest, just because of its tax breaks and its, um, its like, nice environment for sporting governing bodies. So it became the headquarters for the IOC, the Olympic Committee, for FIFA, for, for UEFA, also for um, the UCI, the cycling governing body. You know, there's about 60 sporting governing bodies in Switzerland, which is a very small country in Europe, really, a uh, very wealthy country per population. Um, and so I gradually realized as I got to know this whole world better that if you're like you and me and you love football and you're Swiss, it's actually a realistic ambition to think that you could become senior in a world sports governing body, which is an amazing job to kind of be accessible to. And as we know, Gianni Infantino, who we see in our screens in a kind of throne at the football in Qatar at the moment, is also Swiss, also from quite a small village in Switzerland, quite similar to Blatter. So Blatter had this just obsessive ambition to be the president of FIFA. And therefore, in my opinion, was a master at orchestrating all the maneuvers that he needed to get to that position and remain in that position. And therefore, to win the support of the people necessary to vote him in and keep him in that position. And is it really credible that he doesn't know a lot of the things that are going on amongst the people that are supporting him. Um, and so therefore, what I thought was incredibly effective about the documentary, and again, doing it in such a historical way, is that I think we're all familiar with his press conferences in recent years. I mean, I was there in the one in Zurich when it's like crisis. He didn't say, crisis what is a crisis because that's a famous sort of mythical thing that a politician in Britain said in some terrible crisis we were in what did he I was actually there he said crisis what did he anyway he said I think he just said quite simply this is not a crisis like in the middle of this unbelievable 
corruption scandal. So we're all quite familiar with that. And also Simon Brodkin, the British comedian, uh, throwing the dollars all over him, uh, you know, which becomes like the signature emblematic iconic image meme forever, basically. Um, we're all quite familiar with that. But to see him making similar speeches all down the years, like back in 2002, there was actually a whistleblower, wasn't there, who, and there was a move against Blatter. And to see him making the speeches there then, uh, so basically, if you like, decades of denying that there was any corruption at FIFA. Uh, I thought that was an, uh, amazing how that built over the, over the decades in the documentary. We're talking to David Conn, investigative um, journalist with The Guardian and, and the brains and the minds uh, behind the FIFA Uncovered uh, documentary. It's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, boy, oh boy, watch, watch it this weekend before the final. <laughs> and talking of the final, like I know you're a football fan, David, with all that you know and all the talk about the World Cup bids that was going to Qatar, sections of the public refusing to engage with it, refusing to watch with it, either because of the corruption or the human rights atrocities or their views of the rainbow community over in Qatar. It's almost in the rear view mirror now, all of the controversy as we look forward to Argentina and France in the final. What have you made of this World Cup, knowing what you know? The World Cup in Qatar, it's just about finished. Your take on it. That, what you've just described, is what I said all along when people asked me before the tournament, what do you think it's going to be like? And I said, before almost every, not just World Cup, also Olympics, before every mega event, and I'm sure it's the same when whatever's hosted in New Zealand, I'm sure it's the same. There is always criticism, not criticism perhaps on the scale that there's been criticism of Qatar, and it's probably the most scrutinised and most criticised um, hosting of a tournament ever, right, which the Qataris themselves cite to push back against some of the criticism and say there was not, not a portion, a fraction of this criticism against Russia 2018. But Russia won the bid at, from the exact same corrupt FIFA executive committee as Qatar because the vote was made on the same day in 2010 and we can absolutely see that Putin used it for uh, aggrandizing himself and boosting his own sense of self and sense uh, uh, and sense of Russia's place in the world and just four years later is waging this horrendous war against his neighbor so we can see now that it was the absolute opposite of what a World Cup is supposed to bring in terms of you know bringing people together and the you know FIFA's own manifesto and Blatter's own manifesto that it should be a vehicle for peace. So why are we getting dramatically more criticism and scrutiny than Russia, which which I do think is it's fair to say that they have had that. But my answer to, to all of this is that even like the London Olympics in 2012, it went three times over budget. It was supposed to cost three billion pounds. It cost nine billion pounds. It's incredible amount of money to be spending, extra money to be spending on something that lasts three weeks or four weeks. But my answer is that when the action starts, when the magic starts, that is why these countries are spending this amount of money, are, 
are sustaining this amount of criticism. Bear in mind, Qatar's had 12 years of it. Why go through all that? Why build seven stadiums that you will have no use for afterwards? Why, why you know, go through the criticism that you're going through? Because when the whistle blows, that is the gold dust. That is the magic. That is the captivating event. That is the whole reason why you've bid for this thing. And now the world's attention is on Qatar. And, now, and I knew, I went there in 2018 to do pieces for The Guardian four years to go. What does, the, what does the World Cup look like? What are conditions like for migrant workers? I did a series of pieces. And some of those stadiums were built or just about built. And I went to the one, is it Albait, the one that looks like a tent, the one that looks like a Bedouin tent? And I was like, wow. This is just being built for television, for the television images. And in 2022, the lighting's going to be unbelievable. And these images, which some of it has got iconography of the Arab world, of the Middle East, of Qatar itself, and they're going to beam this around the world and they're going to say, we're here, we're Qatar, we've hosted this, we've hosted this successfully, we've built this stadiums. You know who we are now. You know where we are now. No one's ever going to say again, where's Qatar? We're not in the shadow of our neighbours anymore. We're not in the shadow of Saudi Arabia anymore. The world's leaders have come to us. And very, very interesting to me. They very rarely get shown on the television. So normally in the coverage of all these tournaments uh, uh, and of the Olympics, whatever, they'll always show the VIP box and they'll show everyone, all the dignitaries that are there, all the rulers, prime ministers, presidents around the world. In the semi-final last night, they did show Macron there. And that is the first president or ruler of a country that I've actually seen. They show Infantino on his own, not sitting next to the Emir of Qatar, whoever he's sitting next to. So it's been very, very interesting to me that the political VIPs are not being shown, right? And whether that's because the optics in 2018 of Infantino sitting next to Putin, as we've shown in the documentary, you know, look terrible four years on. But basically what they're showing is a tremendously successful tournament with some incredible football, with some wonderful players happening in Qatar with the world glued to it. And the magic of the sports themselves is what these countries are buying. And that is what the magic of the sport themselves is what they want to reflect on their own countries. And it works. Oh, David, you're giving me goosebumps all over again. Um, I asked you for 10 minutes and I've taken 25. So, and I know it's late over there for you. It is an absolutely brilliantly told tale. I reiterate, watch FIFA Uncovered if you haven't. It's on Netflix, go and do it in New Zealand. Open your eyes, open your ears, open your mind and be astounded at the great work of David and, and the crew that put this together. David, I really, really do appreciate your time. I wish you and yours a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And once again, thank you so much for, for joining us here in New Zealand today. And the same to you and thanks very much. And once you get me started, you know it's not going to be 10 minutes. So thanks very much.